we're this study. I forgot when Lyle started this study. It's been a while, but uh, the focus of this study when he started it was uh, from the aspect of that God will protect His people, that God will fulfill His plan and purpose for His creation, that He'll keep His promises, that He'll provide for us in eternity, and then He'll judge evil in this world eventually. That time is coming, and so the. the the theme for what we were trying to do through Revelation is pull the theological truth out and avoid going down the road of all the different interpretations of what things mean. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with studying those. There's nothing particularly wrong with any one of them. But in essence, we were looking more for what the theological message in this was, in this passage was. And so that's, that's what we've tried to do through this. And last week, as we were trying to finish up, we... In, in chapter 21, verse 10, John was in the Spirit, his last vision, the last of four visions that he has in Revelation. And, and in that vision, he describes the holy city or the new Jerusalem. He started describing this place because at this point in time, everything is complete. The world is judged. The old world, the heavens and earth are gone. The new heaven and earth is here. We're standing on the precipice of eternity with a holy God. And, he's, and, and the angel is showing John what this place that we're going to live in is like. And we know last week from just a lot of the descriptions, it was just a magnificent place. And, and, and the writer said it's probably beyond our ability to describe this place. It is so awesome and so wonderful. So when we look at this, whether that description of all those different gems and colors and things was literal or symbolic or whether they were a combination of the two, I think the one thing that we can take away from this is it's going to be more wonderful than we can imagine. So regardless of how you see those, whether we were talking about whether that was a literal pearl 200 miles high or whether it was some symbolic reference to how great it is, it doesn't matter except that this city is going to be just a, a beautiful place. And so we got down to chapter 22 is where we had to stop. And as we got into the business meeting a little bit last, last week. And so we're going to look at the first five verses in 22 which will finish this fourth vision and will basically finish the message of the book of Revelation other than the wrap-up words at the end. And that's kind of where we're going to spend some time tonight. So 22, 1 through 5. And he said, The angel showed me the river, the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, <coughs> bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will be no need for the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. There's some interesting takes in this little passage right here. And the first thing the angel talks about, John talks about, he says, The angel showed me the river of water of life. Now, there's something interesting about this passage when he's talking about water of life. There's no heaven. I mean, there's no sun. There's no moon. There's no weather cycle. There's no hydrogelic cycle. So, this is not talking about literal water. It's talking about the water of life. And we see through Scripture, often water is, is synonymous with eternal life. You know, as a woman at the well, and Jesus said, when you drink of this water, you'll never thirst anymore. 
So this is not literal water in, in the essence of it because it is, is the water of life when we're looking at this passage. And he said it's clear. You notice everything in this, in this holy city is clear. And that's so the reflection and the reflection of God can come through and shine through. You, you see, it, it keeps talking about the glory of God shining through. So again, he's just he's, he's describing what's going on here. And then he, and he said, on the other side of the river stood the tree of life. Now, when is the last time we heard about the tree of life? All the way back in the first. Now, it's back into play again. But this time, it's there. It's available. It's accessible. And he says, it bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. What's wrong with that statement? Yielding fruit every month, but we're in the eternal kingdom. There is no time. So you, and, and so the question arises, is, is what is he trying to say there? And basically, the point is that it yields fruit every month. It's a different fruit every month. And again, it's just the total completeness of heaven. There'll never be a need that's not met. There'll never be, there'll never be not enough of anything there. There'll never be not a variety of anything there in, in a variety of the people. So again, it's just describing heaven as just this endless, boundless, magnificent place of, of everything that we'll ever need. Yes, ma'am, it is. Well, it, it, it has to be if you have no sun, no moon, no water, you know. Well, right, in the leaves, what, basically what it, that, the tree of life, when you're going back to Eden, that's what the healing of the nations mean. If you're in there, you've been healed by that, by that salvation, that eternal life coming. It's all, it's, it's all very symbolic when you look at that from that passage because you know, it talks about fruit in a month. Well, there's, there's, not any, there's not any months. There's not any time. We're talking about eternity. Nothing, nothing, you know, there's no sun, no moon, no water. It's just, it's beyond our ability to imagine what it's like. And that's just the thing we have to accept in this. And you've got to understand, then John is dealing with this vision and trying to describe it in language, in everyday words that he has. And so, we'll get, never ends. It's boundless. There is no end to it. Exactly, that's a very good way to put it. And so everything we're going to need is there. I mean, this is the inside of the city. Last week he kind of looked at the outside. And so now he's getting this peak inside. No longer will there be any curse. So, again, there's no pain. There's no sorrow. There's no suffering. There's no hunger. There's nothing. There's nothing. It's perfect. Again, it all, it's, this all just keeps rolling over and over about the perfection that this place is going to have in it. And he said, the throne of the God and, and the Lamb will be there in the city as well. Now, we've already, God's already talked about it. He will dwell, we'll be His people and we'll dwell with Him and He'll dwell with us. And so it's all going to be there together. And His servants will serve Him. That's us. Heaven is going to be service and worship and fellowship with God. That's it. You better get used to it here because that's all we're going to do there. But we're not, that's all we're going to want to do there. That's going to be the joy. We don't have to get up in the morning and go, well, it's time to go to church again. You know. This is going to be an eternal bliss of, of worship in, in the way it was created to be. You're not going to like it there at all. And not, if, not if you read through Revelation. Because, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. It gets into some more worship in just a minute. But you're exactly right. And he said, they will see his face, which means we'll be there with him. And his name will be on their foreheads. We belong to him. We will always we're identified with him. We're sealed with him. And, and we're his. And nothing can ever change that. There'll be no more night. There'll be no need for the lamp, light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give the light. And again, it's talking about that glory for God. And they will reign forever and ever. 
Vision is over. That's it. Revelation is complete. John has seen it all from start to finish. God has shown him what he's going to do with his creation. He's kept his promises. He's shown him what he's going to do with his creation. And so at that point, he's through. And he's back in Patmos and just him and the angel. And there's nothing else for him to describe in this vision, per se, at this point in time. Because he's shown him everything. The completeness of the holy city where we're going to live. And then what you have in the rest of this passage is an epilogue. It's just like a good book. And then at the end, the angel and John and Jesus all have something to say in these final passages, which I think is really interesting. And kind of just ties everything together and sums everything up about this book and what, it's, what it really means to us. As opposed to wondering about the mysteries in it, what is the truth in it? What is it saying to us? What is, what is God saying to us through it? Verse 6. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants these things that must soon take place. Now, his basic message there, when he says these words are trustworthy and true, is you can mark it down, this will happen. And he talks about the prophets in that. And he said the spirits of the prophets. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament when he down to the small place he was born. And, and he's just pointing back to this, and he's saying, you can trust what you've just seen in this vision. It will happen. It will happen as, as God has said it's going to happen. And, and, and as believers, we accept that and know that. But, but again, the angel is just reiterating to John, because remember, what's, what is this book really? What is Revelation really? What is it to John? What is, what is he writing? He's writing a letter to the believers. And so this angel is saying, they need to understand that I just didn't write a bunch of stuff for them to read and go, how about that? This is going to happen. Just as everything else in prophecy has happened, this is going to happen. And he talks about, he said, he shows his servants of the things that must soon take place. Now, two or three places in here you're going to see coming soon or soon take place. That is not talking about a, a prospect of time. That means imminent return. Jesus will come back. From the time He ascended into heaven, He could come back at any moment. He can come back today, 10 years, 300 years. We don't know. He could have come back two days after He left at the time of the crucifixion. But imminent, it's talking about imminent return when He says that. We know He's coming. We just don't know when. The point of this is live like it's today. If it's not, live the same way tomorrow. found this passage in Isaiah. He was talking about, when I was talking about the trustworthy and true, that these things will happen. This is God talking in Revelation. He said, remember the former things, I mean, talking in Isaiah 47, it's actually 46, 9 through 11. He said, remember the, for, the former things, those things long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey. From a far-off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. That's God talking through the prophet Isaiah all those hundreds of years. In essence, God is just saying, that I'm going to do what I've just shown you in this vision here. We can trust in that. And, and that's the message in this that there is coming a day when God is going to judge evil, when God is going to take His creation back, when His Son is going to be honored, when 
and when there's going to be two places for people to be, eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. That's the basic message of, of this book when you look at it. And it challenges us a little bit as we look at it. And we'll look at a couple more things here. Again in verse 7, he said, Now in, in this imminent return of Christ we've just talked about, that we know He's coming back. In the next few verses, there's four things that we're challenged to do in that as believers. First one's in verse 7. He said, Behold, I am coming soon. And again, that's that passage I just talked about. Then he said, Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Now, that's a beatitude. But it, and, and here's, here's what's happening here. That's talking about obedience. That keeping, some Bible translation says heed, but it's a call for us to be obedient. In other words, to keep the Word, to protect the Word, to, to hold on to the Word, to, to apply the Word, to work the Word out in our lives, and to obey the Word. So it brings us to obedience because he's talking about blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Okay, what is the prophecy of this book? It's the gospel in essence. It's the gospel and the results of what's going to happen for all those that war against God. Satan started a war with God in, in, in Genesis. Well, it's ending here. It has ended. And, and God's put an end to it. So one, it brings us to obedience. I mean, it calls us to immediate obedience. It commands us to obedience. Constant obedience. I mean, there's not two ways to do this. God expects us to live this life His way and according to the way He's designed it. Verses 8 and 9, I am John. Now, now, He's coming back here. That was Jesus just speaking there. Now we have John coming back speaking again. <clears throat> he said, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers the prophets of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. What's the second one? Worship. Exactly. If we are believers, if, if we have accepted Christ and we believe this is true, then it, it ought to call us to constant worship. Our life ought to be a state of worship in everything that we do. And that's the thing that he's pointing to here again. And the other thing is worship God only is one of the things he's talking about because there's way too much tied up in what we do today. But worship God and worship God only. So it brings us to obedience. It calls us to worship. And then in verses 10 through 11 we see these. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let him, does wrong, let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Now, there's a lot of stuff added into that passage there. But when he says, Do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book because the time is near. What do you think he means by not sealing it up? We've talked about Revelation now. We're not talking about all the stuff in it that we don't understand. But we're talking about the message. The theme of Revelation is basically the gospel. When he says don't seal it up, don't keep it to yourself. Proclaim the word. Exactly right. Proclaim the gospel. And, and, and here's the key. I mean, that's a command to the preacher, to the teacher, to the lay person, to everybody. To share the gospel. Preach the gospel, teach the gospel, share the gospel. And, and when you're looking at this passage, then you come down and you says, Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to be right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. What in the world is all that about, you think? Think about it. If he says, preach the word, 
Don't seal the book up. Share the word, preach the word, teach the word. And then he says, let them who want to do what they want to do. Basically, what's it saying? Yeah, to some degree. Everybody has, everybody has to choose. Our job is to make sure they hear the gospel. But every man and woman does something with Jesus. You can accept him. You can reject him. You can ignore him. You can not believe in him. You can do whatever. But in the end, there's only one or two places to be, one side or the other. And so the, the, the impact of that passage there is our responsibility is to make sure. And, and the thing that he talks about in here, he said, when we read through how terrible this judgment is, and our job then and how terrible hell is going to be, according to the scripture we saw in these passages, not because I said it or anybody else, that we should, it should be a driving force to us to make sure that everybody that don't know him hears. But yet, if a man hears and wants to continue to be vile, then that's his choice. But his choice determines his eternity. That, that's, that's what he's saying in this passage. Every man chooses his eternity. I'm, I'm I'm a free willer. Okay, we're not going to go there tonight, but that's where I'm at with it. So. But, uh, and, and so again, it's just do not stop preaching the Word. And we have a command to do that. I mean, we have an obligation as Christians to share the Gospel with people. And, and, and that's been there from the start. And so we have those four things when we look at it. And one other thing, when we look at this next verse in, in, in uh, verse 12, it said, Behold, I am coming soon. This is Jesus talking. And we have, that, we have that command again. I'm coming soon, which means imminent. And when, you, when Jesus says soon, eternity, if it's 2,000 years, what's that to eternity anyway? You know, if you want to get literal about it, it's still soon to him. You know, I'll see you all in about 3,000 years. That's not very long to Jesus. So he said, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Uh-oh. What did that just say? That's the thing we've been beating around this whole thing. But what what just happened there? What just happened there? On what? What have we done? What about, you think everybody has a purpose and a call as a believer? We all have spiritual gifts, at least one, right? What did he give you that for? He give you that for ministry. I think we all have a call to some degree. It may be something very minor. It may be something very major. But we've got a purpose. God just didn't say, I'm going to save you. Just get on out of the way. There's a purpose. I think we're going to be, we're going to come together. Now, don't get me wrong. And we're going to read a couple passages here. Let me, let me read you a good passage on this before we get started. And then we'll have some fun with it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13. And it's talking about building on certain foundations. He said, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it's burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. What's he saying there? It's not going to cost you salvation, but we are going to give an account for the, the resources, the talents, the gifts, and the opportunities that He has laid in our lap to take the gospel to the world. And we're going to give an account for that now. I didn't say that. He said that. So y'all deal with them, you know. Now, I don't know how, you know, when He talks about going through the fire, that means you're going to smell like smoke. You can go get in, but... But I, and, I, and we can't comprehend what that's... It's heaven. How much better could it get? 
you know, it's not. So I don't know what that means. But it just, the fact, I think the thing is that you and I and everybody else here is going to have to stand looking face to face. And we're going to go down the list of what I should have done and what I did do. And I don't think any of us will ever get everything done that God wants. But it's going to really be real bad when we didn't get very little of it done. You know, it's kind of like my dad used to give us stuff to do when we were kids. In the summertime, he'd go to work and he'd come home. We about time for him to come, we'd get busy because we didn't have anything done, you know. But And you come home and you check on that. But uh, 2 Corinthians, here's another verse. kind of helps us along this thing. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what you're looking for that each one may receive what is due him for the things he's done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, there's a judgment. I, I don't understand it, and I'm not going to tell you I do. If I'm in heaven now, if I'm in heaven with the Holy God, I don't know how he's going. I don't know what that's going to be. I'm not, you know, no way to understand that, except that, that it's going to take place. In Second John, verse 8, Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. So there is an accountability issue there with God and what we do and don't do with our lives when we look at that. So we're looking, you know, we're looking at these four issues here. The imminent return of Christ, knowing He's coming back someday and knowing that Revelation is going to, going to fulfill its prophecy the way it's laid out. Then it calls us to obedience, to worship, to proclaiming the Word, and to service. I mean, that's what our daily lives ought to be about in this world. You know, living for Jesus. Right. We don't. And he just said a few verses ago, we're going to serve him. Yeah, he was talking about, you know, we try to box it all in one neat little box, and, and we can't do that to understand, you know, what we're serving and how we're serving and what our, what our job task is going to be. None of the two is probably going to be the same. And we've all called to do something different. And we like everything nice and neat and wrapped up, but that's not the way God works, you know, and, and in trying to in trying to put a handle on all that, I'm not even going there. I know I know what I'm saying. We we don't, but the, at various levels, I don't know. Different different areas of service, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, somebody watching him, I, I don't know. Well, but that gets back to like trying to describe that the the holy city. It's beyond us. But just to trust God to say that it's all going to be good. But I, I think the passage implies is the hurtful part is going to be the initial face-to-face and go, wow. But here's, here's the key. When, when we miss out on ministry, who really loses in that? We do. We're going to get there and God's going to say, look at all the blessings that I had for you had you just simply done these things. We're the losers there. That puts the peace, that puts the fulfillment and joy in our lives. And when we don't follow through in it, we lose. I think that's going to be, the, to me, the, probably the big revelation of everything is, look what it cost me, you know, and my family and those people around me. How much better would I have been? How much more joyful would I have been? How much more peace in life? How much more could have God used me for? That, that would have been just, just fun to say, hey, look what he did. And the other thing we we're kind of bad today about about the we did it not God you know we, we need to get back to saying look what God did through us through the church through anybody and it's easy for us to say look what we did or look what I did and and that doesn't speak too well to him either all right moving on just a little bit 
Verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Powerful passage. And then this, this, this starts wrapping this thing up. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning of the end, which is basically to say what? It's going to happen. Look, I made it. I sustained it. I'll judge it. I'll destroy it. I'll remake it. I'll do whatever I want to. It's holy God, the creator of the universe, reestablishing that he is the one and only creator, and his son Jesus is, is, is the ruler of this world, and he's going to take that back. He said, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates of the city. Basically saying, Blessed are those who have been washed in the blood of the cross, who have accepted Christ and say, You have the right to go through the gate. You have the right to the tree of life. You have the right to be in fellowship with God forever and ever. And then he says something interesting. He said, Outside, and again now, this is not part of the vision. This is just epilogue. This is just wrapping up. Because church people are going to read this as they pass this letter around. He said, outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. What's the emphasis with dogs there? Why do you use that term? That doesn't mean fluffy. I don't know where fluffy's going to heaven or not, but that's not what this is talking about. Or whoever your dogs ain't. Never what's your dogs. You know what's her dogs ain't. <laughs> what's, what's, what's the impact of the word dogs there? Impure. Why did he, why did he put it in there though? Think about the Jewish culture. Dogs. They they referred to Samaritans as dogs. Dogs were just despised. They were they weren't not domesticated in. They were just wild, ruthless, nasty animals that they despised. Most of them, yeah. And so and so they referred to people they didn't like as dogs. It was about as degrading thing as you could say about somebody. And the reason he put it here is because he knows these people reading it will know instantly what he's talking about when he says a dog. It's somebody that's vile. It's somebody that's evil. It's somebody that's bad. You're not in heaven. Well, okay. Yeah, you are. Now, back up. This is the letter. This is the epilogue to the letter to the churches. The heaven vision is over. He's just saying that who will be in and who will be out. He's saying, blessed are those who have washed their robes. That's all everybody that's saved. They're the ones on the outside, in other words, the ones who don't get to go to heaven are who? Dogs, murderers, everybody everybody that had to accept Christ. That's that's the understanding of that. See, remember, you have to separate these last few words from the vision part of it. This is this is just wrapping it up and and, and Jesus is just saying, This is the way it's gonna be. Those that have walked, been washed in the blood, they're in. And he just uses these definitions because he kind of identifies, he doesn't say all those that don't know me, he just identifies different sins. And he does this two or three times in here. And he said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bride and morning star. Very critical for the three words he used right there. What are, what are they? Anybody know that offhand? The root of David, the offspring of David. The root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. What's the impact there? Remember, the church is going to read this. Jewish churches. They're going to know exactly who this is. That's the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament name. You know, the bright and morning star. The root of offspring of David. They're going to know exactly this is Jesus speaking here. Because remember, John's just writing this down. And then he says, the Spirit and the bride say come. All right? Let's break that down a little bit. That's the Holy Spirit. Who's the bride? The church. Saying come. Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus. And, and and again, 
that's just saying faithfully knowing he's going to come at some time. It's, I mean, we can call for him to come tonight, but in essence we're saying come Lord Jesus. It's meaning we are, we are verifying that he will. We're verifying and solidifying that, that he is going to come and he is going to take us back someday. But he said, come and let him who hears say come. In other words, anybody who hears the gospel. And let him is thirsty come. And we, when we talked about that water, many of those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. If a man is thirsty for God, let him come. And again, it's saying that God is saying the invitation is open. Revelation draws the line. It tells you what's going to happen. But salvation is still available. What was the passage we read a few weeks ago? And it said, and the commentator said there will come a time when it's not possible to repent. But the message here now is the door is still open. The message to us was you need to be telling people. The message to the people that don't know him here is the door is still open. Come in. Receive. And he said, let him come in. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. And uh, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a powerful verse. It says a whole lot about a lot of things we're arguing about in the church today about salvation. The free gift, you know. And he said, I warn anyone, and here's the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to the plagues described in the book. Add him, add to him the plagues described. If anyone takes words away from the book of prophecy, God will take him away from his share of the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. Uh, what do you mean there? How do we take away or add to? Now, the prophecy of this book is not the Bible. It's just Revelation. So what do we say Revelation is about? If it's about the gospel, and it is, not all this other stuff that we add in. It's not, it's not that somebody goes in and says, well, this is going to happen here, or the Antichrist is this, and they're wrong, and God's going to punish them. When he's talking about taking away here, if we take anything away from the basic gospel that Jesus Christ is the only way, and, you know, you think about the one, Joseph Smith has done that, Muhammad has done that, because they sidestep Jesus, or they put him on an equal level with somebody. That's what he's talking about. When you looked at this, and he said, "God will take away from him the share, but but, and not add anything. You don't have to do anything extra. Don't take anything away. The gospel. Is, God is saying, when it gets down to the end, the only thing that matters is Christ. Which side are you on? We all have to choose. To not choose is still to choose, and we know that." And, he, and then he says, He who testifies to these things, yes, I am coming soon. There's Jesus talking. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And all God's people said, Amen. Right? All right. Just in thinking about this and the impact of it, what I kind of mentioned last week, we've we, we got just a couple of minutes here, that uh, if we come and learn something, it's just knowledge unless we use it. How do you process Revelation? When you look at this book and when you study this book, and it is a book that he commands us to study and promises a blessing, what do you do with it? That's what I want to know. Or what do you think it means? Why does it make you want to do that? Amen. And the backside of that is the other option is so bad, you don't really bother us to look at people around us that we care about and go, man, they don't know that. Now, we can't do it for them. But we're not off the hook till we at least try to make sure they know what it's all about. Good point. Anybody else? I mean, we have to do something with it. I mean, you know, it's, it's a powerful book, and it says a lot. 
I found this by one of the commentators. I want to read it, and I don't think it could be summed up any better than what he just said in these couple of paragraphs here about uh, about uh, what the book means. And he said, "What does it mean then to heed the book of Revelation? What it is? It is a general command to long for Christ's return in our eternal fellowship with Him. It calls on believers to desire heaven, to desire holiness, to desire to see Christ vindicated and triumphant over His enemies." to desire the end of the curse, to desire the glories of Christ's earthly kingdom and the new heaven and the new earth. After reading Revelation, Christians should love Christ more, long to see Him vindicated in His glory, live in light of the realities that will one day see Him, disconnect themselves from the perishing world system, pursue heavenly realities, seek to be made like Christ, hope for their resurrection bodies, and anticipate their eternal rewards. They should also understand the fearful judgment that awaits non-Christians and call those sinners to repentance and saving faith in the Lord Jesus. God does not command believers to read Revelation merely to satisfy their curiosity about the future. He did not inspire it to provide material detail for chronological charts and end-time events, even though there's a multitude of it out there. But it is not God's purpose to give Christians a detailed analysis of the prophetic significance of contemporary cultural, political, military, and social events or trends. God inspired Revelation for one purpose, to reveal the glory of the Son and call believers to live godly, obedient lives in the light of His soon return. The purpose of Revelation is not to provide entertainment, but to provide motivation for godly living. You can't say it any better. That's exactly what the book is about. In between all the different things that we love to study and all the different interpretations, which they're fine, and all the things that we write and read and laugh and just that, that's the message of this book to the churches. That someday our God is going to come back. He's going to judge this world. He's going to judge evil. He's going to destroy everything He's made except those who have come into His family by the blood of Christ. And for us, He's creating a new place to live in eternity in peace and glory and, and just the greatness with Him. Amen. That's the message. Yeah, thank you, brother. That's, I guess we can quit on it. But that's the message. Now, there's a lot of good stuff in Revelation study, but that's the basis of the message of Revelation as He summed up right there. When we read this book, it ought to drive us to want to be more like Him every day and seek to glorify Him, seek to please Him. And in the process, He's pouring the blessings back on us. That someday when we get there, we can, we can meet Him and not have to look down at the ground. Amen? Anybody else before we go? It's time to go. Well, we live in an evil world. I mean, you know, we live in a fallen. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, we think we see evil now, but wait till He comes when it's time to judge. And, uh, and, you know, the thing about then, there won't be any innocent people caught in it. It'll be everybody that's rejected him. But, uh, but, yeah, you're exactly right. This, even though we don't understand the depth of all this, it doesn't take a scholar to read through this and say, this is going to be bad. And this is going to be something that we don't want to be involved in. We want to be on the other side of and, uh and for all believers. But our Lord's going to be glorified through it and put back where He belongs. Well, it's... If someone hadn't accepted Christ, they're going to be involved in this. But that's your just reward, you know. I mean, uh, and, and, you know, but that's what I said earlier. Every man makes a choice based on based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And, and that's, that's, that's the cleanness and the crispness of what we're trying to say here. It's all about Jesus. Not all this other stuff that we've manufactured around church and faith. It's about Jesus Christ. And when it comes to the end, you either know Him or you don't. Go back and read that chapter about the Lamb's Book of Life. You're either in it or you're not in it. There's no debate. There's no rebuttals. There's no sidebars to talk about it. You're in or you're out. And that's based on a decision you made somewhere in life when He presented Himself to you. You're either the feast, you're either at the feast or you are the feast. 